Hey, so a question came in uh, actually from Steve a couple of months ago. I apologize I didn't get to this a little sooner. I'm not sure how I didn't uh, see that or I missed it or whatever, but here's the question. I have been wanting to ask you a question for a number of months. Apparently, I've neglected to answer it for a number of months, too. Uh, concerning 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 4, this passage in its context appears to be clearly referring to the rapture. However, it is probably the main stumbling block I have to believing in a pre-tribulation rapture. It appears, as you state in the video, and he's, this is a comment from a video we did previously, that the Thessalonian Christians were concerned that they may have missed the rapture. It seems, though, uh, uh, though that Paul goes to speak about these things that must take place before the rapture takes place. Uh, for example, verse 3, the great apostasy and the revealing of the man of lawlessness. If the Antichrist is not to be revealed until the midway through the tribulation, then how can there be a pre-trib rapture? Thank you once again for your sound teaching. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. And God bless you as well. Uh, it's Stephen England. And so um, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 reads this way. You want to open up to it? Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. There's that idea, the falling away. Um, and, and the question is, what is it referring to? Uh, comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now let me read on just a little further, because I think it helps us to, to get a sense of what Paul is saying here. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Verse 6, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who, rest who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. We see that take place, the destroying of this uh, this one who comes up. We call him Antichrist or the first beast, as he's referred to in Revelation 13. Uh, we also get a sense of him in Daniel chapter 7 and also in Daniel chapter 9, which lends itself uh, to, to one of the reasons why I do hold a pre-tribulation rapture. So let me unpack this a little bit. Um, the idea here is that the Thessalonian believers um, were concerned because there were some among their number who had died before Christ had come. Now, the persecution that they were under at that time caused them great concern, thinking that they were, in fact, living in the last days. Now, on, as we've mentioned before, technically speaking, they were, just as you and I are. So from the point of Acts chapter 2 on, we've been living in this period of time known as the last days. However, when we say the last days, typically what we're referring to are the things that we read about in the book of Revelation, chapter 6 through 19, verse 11, when Christ returns, uh, and of course, beyond when he establishes his kingdom. But that's generally what we think of, and that is what they were thinking of, the idea that these things were all coming together or falling apart, everything was, uh, was, was happening. And they feel like, well, what happens to those who didn't live to this point? And so we know that they're, um, you know, part of their concern, or one of their questions at least, about the last days had to do with the difference between the second coming and the rapture of the church. Now, the rapture of the church is spoken of in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. There, it's very, very clear. That's what's in view. The idea of this harpazo gamatheo, this harpazo, this idea of being snatched away violently is the term that Paul uses there when he describes this event that takes place 
where we go to meet the Lord in the air. This is a different description than what happens at the second coming, where Christ returns to earth and establishes his kingdom. The rapture is where the church is snatched up. The second coming is where Christ returns with his bride and also the armies of heaven and the saints and such, ultimately to establish his kingdom, uh, as we see it there in, in um in, uh, you know, moving from chapter 19 into 20 of, of the book of Revelation. And of course, elsewhere throughout the Old Testament, the millennial kingdom, the promises of the coming kingdom. Uh, we see the disciples asking about this in Acts chapter 1 before Christ ascends. This is a, a well-established concept in Scripture. Um, so when it comes to this question, well, doesn't it seem as though that the rapture in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, is this seems to be speaking clearly of the rapture of the church. Now, there are two views as to, or two main views at least, that would, that would, um, uh, that, that are thought of when it comes to this passage. Again, verse three, let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come until, unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. One of the questions that arises is what is in view with this idea of falling away? Um, now, this word, by the way, in uh, in Paul's writing here in Second Thessalonians, is a different one than uh, is uh, in First Thessalonians chapter four, when Paul is speaking about that snatching away. Here in Second, in um, I'm sorry, in Second Thessalonians chapter two, this term that is used here speaks of the idea of a departing from, um, uh, and it's a different term entirely than what is used in uh, in, in First Thessalonians. And so the question is, is there, in fact, in view here, the rapture where the church departs and the man of sin is revealed, or does this speak of a falling away from the faith? Well, there again, those are the two views. Is it a falling away from the faith or is it a reference to the rapture? I would, I personally think, with respect, I think it's maybe pushing it a little bit to say that it's clear that this is speaking of the rapture. Uh, I don't think it's clear. I think it actually... Uh, I'm of the view that it's speaking rather of a departing from the faith, uh, very similarly to the idea that Paul shared with uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, where he said that, the, um, that uh, in the last days there would be many that depart from the faith and give heed to deceiving spirits and such. And so um, now that also is a different term than is used here in 2 Thessalonians when it comes to this idea of departing from the faith. But the definition is very similar to the term that is used here in Second Thessalonians. Um, they both speak of the idea of like divorcing, departing, separating from, going away from. And the idea here is that those who are involved are doing the departing. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, when the rapture is spoken of, there is this idea not so much of, of, of believers departing like of their own volition, but rather instead they are snatched away. They are violently pulled out. Um, there's, uh, you know, this, it's, it's not so much that we are choosing to leave as much as we are being pulled out. Not that we're hesitant or resistant to that at all, but it's something that happens to us, not something that we're choosing to do per se, if I can sort of put it that way. Um, the idea of there, however, being a departing from the faith is something that, again, Paul speaks of, Jesus speaks of, Jude speaks of, Peter speaks of. We actually uh, spoke to this in the, in the previous episode, our last episode, when we talked about um, developing biblical discernment about false doctrine and teaching here in these last days. So um, I, I think it's, 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 there are those, there's a growing number of people, uh, and pre-tribulationists like myself, there are, there are many that are moving toward 
uh, and, and more further embracing this idea that 2 Thessalonians 2.3 is actually a reference to the rapture. I have to tell you, I'm personally still not there yet. I think it's still referring uh, to a departing from the faith, uh, as Paul warned again to Timothy in that. Um, now, as far as the pre-trib rapture goes, there are lots of reasons to believe in a pre-trib rapture. I'll just share a couple here. Um, one of the primary reasons, or I think one of the like most consistently biblical reasons, is because the period of time in the very last days, or the or what we typically would call the 70th week of Daniel, is something that deals specifically, or primarily at least, if not specifically, but I I would argue specifically, and therefore primarily, uh, that period of time deals with uh, with Israel. Uh, as a matter of fact, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, uh, we've gone there many times. I'll encourage you to read if you're not familiar with it. Actually, I'm going to go there. We're going to go ahead and read it. Um, but in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, a lot of times I'll put markers in here, but I was going to just quote it, but I figure I'll just go ahead and read it. Uh, so then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be the one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Now this is speaking of the abomination of desolation, which is spoken of both by, uh, or is referenced by Jesus in Matthew twenty four fifteen. He references this this idea here from Daniel. Uh, when you read it, when you see the abomination of desolation of spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, we see it here in chapter nine. This idea we see it later in Daniel's prophecy before the end of the book, uh, twice, and uh, and so there is this clear reference to this event that's going to take place. It is further described in Second uh, Thessalonians two, which we just read. Uh, it is also described in Revelation thirteen. Now. This happens during a very specific period of time in human history, and it is called Daniel's 70th week. Now, this is the 70th week that is being described here in verse 27. Um, if When you read the first uh, uh, part of this prophecy in verse 24, it speaks about how 70 weeks or 77-year periods of time is what's in view here are determined for your people and your holy city. Well, who are Daniel's people and his holy city? The Jews and Jerusalem. And so we know that this prophecy has primarily, again, in view, specifically Israel. That doesn't mean that there aren't other people on the earth. That doesn't mean there aren't even Christians during that time who come to faith in Christ during that 70th week of Daniel. We, we would, it would appear that there are many who get saved during that period of time. But that period of time is devoted specifically in particular, uh, to dealing with Israel and ultimately in the fulfilling of messianic promises to Israel. When Christ comes and returns a uh, second time, granted, but he comes the second time to establish his kingdom, which is the fulfillment of messianic promise to Israel. Once again, that doesn't mean that believers who are grafted onto the vine, as Paul would say in Romans, uh, are not part of that and not even ruling and reigning with Christ. We are. But ultimately, first and foremost, the millennial kingdom is a fulfillment of promises to Israel. So why do I go through all that? Well, because when we come to um, the revealing of Antichrist, both the passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where again, it says uh, that um, the mystery of lawlessness is at work, uh, only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. In other words, the restrainer 
who as standard fare and pre-tribulational understanding would be the Holy Spirit at work within the body of Christ, within the church. Uh, Once the church is removed and the Holy Spirit, who's not absent from the world because the church is gone, but his activity in the church comes to an end at that point. This would be that sort of in line with Paul's uh, speaking in, uh, in Romans 11 about the fullness of the Gentiles coming in. Well, what happens after that? Well, he, God once again turns his attention toward Israel and begins to work through them as he did in the Old Covenant prior to the coming of Christ. Uh, all of these things tie together in many, many passages throughout Scripture, but I'm just giving sort of a thumbnail here. Um, We have talked about this, by the way. If you want to look uh, in some of our previous posts regarding Israel as the centerpiece of biblical prophecy, uh, any other times we've described the idea of uh, pre-trib rapture, and we've often spoken of the connection uh, between that event and then God's working once again through Israel in that. So um, I think that the rapture of the church happens before the 70th week of Daniel because there's kind of like this change of emphasis or change of focus once the church is gone. And that once again is uh, where the Lord begins to work again through Israel. Now, this, of course, seems to bear out pretty clearly when you read the book of Revelation and you no longer see the church after uh, chapter four until chapter 19 when when she returns with Christ, when he returns to establish his kingdom. In between there, you don't see the church. Uh, there are those that would point to um, um, uh, typically those who are uh, replacement theology uh, believers that would view Revelation 12 and the woman who is seen there with the sun, moon, and stars as representative of the church. I would strongly disagree with that. That that woman is obviously representative of Israel. As we glean, uh, as we as we gather from the interpretation of this same imagery in, in Genesis 37, Uh, It is also not the church that gives birth to the man-child who is Christ, but rather it's Israel who does, right? Uh, Even if you get specific and say Mary, true, but she was a Jewess, right? She was uh, an Israelite. So so we don't see the church during that period of time. Uh, And of course, it's kind of subjective to say this, but when you read Revelation 6 through, uh, through 19, it just reads like the Old Testament. I mean, it, it is clearly a different kind of description of events, kinds of events. The judgments are reminiscent of plagues upon um, old, you know, like Egypt and other nations and such in the Old Testament. Um, again, that's not my main argument, but I think that it does lend itself pretty well to to an existing argument that the church is not in view during that period of time. So the, the, the rapture of the church... Uh, And then lastly, and of course, those who would hold a differing view of what constitutes God's wrath in the book of Revelation would disagree with what I'm about to say. But my my view of the wrath of God beginning actually starts with the first seal, not the sixth or seventh. I think that, uh, or the sixth seal, but I I think that really um, the wrath of God begins when Christ breaks the first seal and Antichrist is then uh, uh, set out on the earth. Now, what about the Antichrist? When is he revealed? In the question here, the idea is that the Antichrist is revealed at the midway point. Well, the Antichrist being fully realized takes place at the midway point. How do we know that? Because like it says in Daniel 9.27, as it uh, as it further elaborates in 2 Thessalonians 2 and Revelation 13, there, and 12 and 13, really, there comes a point where the Antichrist goes from somebody who signs a peace covenant that presumably has something to do with Israel restarting its sacrifices and offerings in a rebuilt third temple um, to the midway point where he goes into that temple 
in Revelation 13, we see that an image is established in his honor that the world has to worship. Uh, they take a mark during that time on their right hand or forehead. Uh, they are worshiping the beast. He declares himself to be God and demands to be worshipped above all that is called God. In the midway point of that 70th week of Daniel, after the first three and a half years, the Antichrist is clearly seen as Antichrist. Israel recognizes him for who he is, and they flee off into the wilderness. And of course, in Revelation, um, uh, just prior to the, um, uh, or just as the woman is, is seen for who she is, we see this persecution in chapter 12 uh, by Satan, uh, chasing the woman into the wilderness and this kind of thing. Um, so it's not that the Antichrist isn't known prior to the midway point. It's just that there is no doubt about it at the midway point. I would argue that if the church were here when the Antichrist was on the scene and he signed the seven-year peace covenant with Israel, that we would be with megaphones. It's him. He's here. This kind of thing. Um, you know, it's we would be, you know, matter of fact, there's Christians now that, that point to different people and say he's on the scene already. Um, I would not argue that he could be on the scene living today. But he hasn't signed a peace covenant with Israel yet, and so there is no quote-unquote antichrist on the scene at this point. The beast has not been yet revealed for who he is because no peace covenant has been signed. We understand that we that it will be known who he is. I mean, the world will be blinded to it likely, but it would be clear who he is at the signing of the covenant, not necessarily uh, uh, not necessarily when this image is created and he causes everybody to take the mark and everything. So I think that the rapture of the church happens prior to the 70th week of Daniel for all, all those reasons, and there are others that can be brought to bear. The idea of the imminence of the rapture, the idea of the bride coming to sweep the bridegroom off her feet is so typical of, of what we see modeled in the Jewish weddings and that kind of thing. I think there's lots of reasons why it's a valid perspective. There are many who really, really just totally oppose that concept entirely. Uh, I think, I think uh, honestly, it, there's a lot, it makes a lot of sense. So anyway, um, that being said, I think that, um, that that's what I would say in response to that. Um, I, I think that um, the rapture of the church happens prior to the sixth seal, A, because the sixth seal begins God's wrath on the earth from my perspective and typically a pre-trip perspective. And as Paul says, the church is not uh, appointed to wrath. You know, uh, In other words, when God begins to bring his judgment upon the earth, and it's good to clarify this, by the way. Um, not to ramble or go on a tangent, but let me just quickly insert this here. One of the arguments against the church being snatched away prior to these events of Daniel's 70th week is that it seems uh, it seems like unfair or something because Christians have been persecuted throughout history. Why should we feel like we would escape hardships and difficulties and tribulations? Well, Jesus said in this world, his followers would have tribulations. So we understand hard times, difficulties, persecutions, those kinds of things at the hands of the world will come upon believers and no believer should feel as though they're exempt from that. However, when we're talking about Daniel's 70th week, that particular period of time where God is now bringing his judgment upon the earth, that is his wrath. That is different. And the reason you and I don't experience that as believers is because we have ultimately been covered, you know, our wrath, I should say, maybe a simple way to put it. Our wrath has been taken by Christ himself. So therefore, we don't take that wrath. The world outside does. Why? Because they've rejected him. Well, what about believers who get saved during that period of time? Well, just because we live in time and space, 
they did not come to faith prior to the rapture of the church. And so they do end up having to endure that, but it was not designed for them. Uh, you know, it had, like, like any of us who got saved prior to the rapture of the church, we will escape that wrath. And, and the only reason why they would go through it is because they didn't come prior to that beginning. And, and, and again, uh, in just, you know, the chronological time and space of, of, of when they come to faith. And so, but, you know, as far as the, um, um, the idea of the, Antichrist coming on the scene and the rapture of the church and how those correlate and what order they happen, it would seem clear enough, and maybe I could have just saved 20 minutes by just saying this at the beginning, but in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 and 8, it would seem that this restrainer, or again, as I would, I would propose, the Holy Spirit at work in the church is taken out of the way, that restraining force of the Holy Spirit working through the church. The Holy Spirit's not a force. He's a person. I'm saying but the church's influence as a restrainer, uh, restrainer under the influence of the Holy Spirit is removed, and then the lawless one comes. And so um, if we think that the lawless one is only revealed at the midway point, I could see the, the argument there. But I do think that enough happens to make it clear who he is at the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel. As a matter of fact, when that first seal is broken and the Antichrist goes and he signs that covenant, presumably that's in connection with Daniel 9.27, that is really when the Antichrist is revealed. The world doesn't see him that way, but he is let loose. He is unleashed on the world. He ultimately is, is now a visible character on the world stage, influencing world events. So, um, Hopefully, that speaks to the question that was asked and uh, um, give him a best shot in any case. So uh, if you have any further thoughts or questions on any of that, let me go ahead and invite you just to share them here in our comment section on our YouTube channel. Or you can uh, email us at uh, info at calvarychapelfranklin.com. And uh, you're always welcome to watch these videos both on our YouTube channel, on uh, my personal website at parsonspad.com, on our church's website at calvarychapelfranklin.com. Uh, if you prefer just to listen to the audio version of this, you can subscribe to it from my website, again, parsonspad.com. So uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And Father, we do thank you most of all that there is a great future and hope that lies ahead for believers, that one day we will see you. We will worship around your throne. One day we'll be snatched away as, as the church even here today. Uh, it could come at any time. And we look forward to seeing Jesus, our bridegroom. We thank you that he will come and establish his kingdom, and we will come and rule and reign with him. We thank you for all that that entails and will involve, and we look forward, even as Jesus uh, told us to in praying, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Father, we just love you and thank you and pray that, uh, Father, as we continue to study your word, that we would just pour ourselves into uh, applying ourselves to understanding, to gleaning to connecting the dots, to developing our understanding of theology. And at the end of it all, Father, uh, in in the period of time between now and when we ultimately see Christ, uh, help us as believers not to fight so much about these things, but to continue to have dialogues and discussions and even disagreements, but to seek to you know sharpen one another in these things as we, uh, as we await uh, your coming. So thank you, Lord, so much. We pray, praise and bless you and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.